multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, Old Testament stories of trading goats for sex. Gloomy ghosts shining their PhDs while their students step their way up to average. Foul necrophilia and bureaucratic succubi eating babies' hearts. And from Dreamland, dreams of threesomes with Elmo. And just for Jerry Ford, quietly waiting for my one-way trip to Guantanamo, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, answering hopelessness with a defiant smile and a raised middle finger, Daniel Bellelli. Along with our internet guru, Evan Culver. Away we go. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 6, if you can believe it or not. Danielle, welcome. Over 20,000, 27,000 downloads of episode 1. Bunch of all the others. Number 1 in the world on iTunes in philosophy. Thank you, guys. You're awesome. Evan's in the room with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Oh, speaking of thank you. Thank you, first and foremost, to Rich and Evan in the room here with me, because after working their asses off at their regular jobs, they put all the extra hours to make this happen. So, you know, this is all the tough grant labor behind the scenes without which none of this shit would happen. So thank you guys so much. Yeah, we like it. Yeah, the pleasure's all mine, man. This is something I was excited about doing, and I was telling Daniel a little earlier that there was a crazy day probably in April or May of this year where we met at Santa Monica campus yep. and here it is guys it's already happening um, I, I we just found out on iTunes itself we have the 117th rated podcast on the top 200 out of everything that is ridiculous and thank you so much everybody thanks for all the, the emails um, we listen to you when you're griping. We try to make it better, and we love it when you tell us nice things, guys. <laughs> we love you guys, too. So please keep listening. We got a great episode this week. It's the Three Amigos. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And on the email thing, if you do send us a message through the contact form on Drunken Taoist, please check that you write your email correctly, because I spent multiple times taking forever, replying, long, thoughtful emails, and you type the wrong email address, and it comes right back to me. Occasional is easier. You know, it's like whatever whatever at uh, gtail.com and i can figure okay it's gmail like i and i can resend it in other cases it's not so easy so if you have written and you haven't received a reply that's why um so please check the spelling of your stuff what else what else what else what else um other things i want to bring up oh speaking of um thank you guys so much to those of you who have donated to the podcast i'm going to this is going to be the butcher the names of good people <laughs> game that we'll play so you can have your friends crack up when i <laughs> pronounce your name in a horrendous fashion <laughs> but these are the people who well <laughs> you see if you can recognize your own names in there but <laughs> here we go <laughs> A big thank you too. Let's start our list. Steven Steiner. That sounds safe enough. I probably pronounced that semi-correctly. The Steiner family's all pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> Zachary Mellinger. Mellinger, Mellinger, close enough. Uh, Kenneth Trainer. Brandon Thompson. Uh, Brian Blair, who donated twice. Thanks, man. Yeah. Logan awesome. McNeil. Uh, Pat. Oh shit, Patrick. You have a strange last name. Patrick Dietzel. Dietzel. Something. Um, Blair Jordan 
uh, also twice donation. Uh, Justin Glandon. Um, oh shit, this is a. Here we one. go. I got that. Brian. <laughs> okay, man. Be- bear with me. Brian Momburquet. Momburquet. Somewhere along right, those yeah. lines. I like it. Yeah, like Forrest it Taylor, Morgan Very Barton, Ian Danikan, Jacob Laster, uh, Taylor, <laughs> Rachel, Rachel, somewhere around there. Donald Cunningham, Kevin Silvernail, Gabriel Caprellian, uh, somebody who couldn't figure out the first name, last name is Tarakchian, Tarak, definitely an Armenian name from Glendale, so we know you're Armenian, and we thank you, but we can't figure out your first name or too much of your last name either. Uh, Graham Slater and Laura Lee Schmidt, who actually became the first female ever to donate to the Drunken um, Drunken Taoist podcast. Thanks so much for the donations. Thanks to those of you guys who use our Amazon link when you are shopping on Amazon. We appreciate that as well. Now, getting out to other business. Oh, one quick thank you to Dwayne Bang Ludwig, the UFC fighter. Um, He um, is coming off an injury he's in a recovery period right now he was really cool to us he tweeted about the podcast he tweeted about my book thanks Dwayne so much and uh, best of luck with your recovery it's absolutely an honor to have you as a listener so thank you man so much with all the exciting uh, high numbers coming along wouldn't it be cool if the folks could uh, get a t-shirt <laughs> thank well. you man for the reminder yes <laughs> Now, that's the big uh, news of the day. We just put up the um, pre-orders for the T-shirts. Basically, what we want to do is make sure we don't order wrong sizes and stuff. So we are probably going to get them printed at the beginning of January. This episode is released in mid-December. So that gives you about three weeks or so to put your orders in, specifying what color and what uh, size you want. And we'll try to make sure you get the correct one. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of like our, our little uh, miniature Kickstarter for T-shirts. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, we um, so we're gonna put a link in the episode notes with um, with the T-shirt ordering page. So make sure you get that. Uh, the artwork was by Jamie Ludovisa. She did an amazing job with uh, the Drunken Taoist logo. Yeah, Jamie. It's going to be about twenty bucks for uh, everything T-shirt plus shipping and handling. If you order from outside of the US uh, I think it's 24 and there's a note that I put in there you can check it in there and then uh, if uh, you end up getting a t-shirt you take a pic of yourself wearing the t-shirt we're gonna put on our website uh, Drunken Tao is sighting things so we'll yeah. we'll make sure to include that and I was just gonna throw it out there I mean we are the idea here is that we we want to rep the Drunken Taoist. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much to make a bunch of money. We've we actually shopped around to, to find out how we can make these t-shirts as cheap as possible. Yeah. As it turns out, our logo is quite a few colors. Yeah. And we want to keep it crisp and all that. But it's also just going to be cool to be able to share some the Drunken Taoist vibe going around. So, I mean, I, I, I kind of want to also solicit like other things. Like, let's, you know, if you guys want... You know, stickers maybe, you know, let us know. I mean, if we want, Good point. you know, whatever, yep. uh, hats that are, you know, trucker hats or yeah. something. Strains of weed? Whatever. Oh, oh my whoa. God. Hey, yes. That's right. Forgot about that. I'm on the news. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I'm actually going to go back to the shirt in one second about the meaning of the logo. No, but that's a good point. <laughs> Some gentle, wonderful soul from Rhode Island tweeted about creating a new strain of marijuana uh, named after the Drunken Taoist. So we're oddly pleased and honored and um, wouldn't mind a sample, but, you know, uh, we like the thought, if nothing else, but the sample would be good. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, easier. that's our claim not... to fame. We are now a marijuana strain. That makes me happy. But back on the on the t-shirt stuff about the um, about the logo. A few people have asked me, "What the hell is in the logo? There's so much stuff happening, and what's the meaning of it and all of it?" Well, basically, in our logo, you see our hero, our drunken Taoist, is leaning backward while making out with a very shapely woman. At the same time, he's evading a punch from some big burly dude and kicking him in the balls. And he's pouring wine over himself and the shapely woman he's making out with. Uh, some people saw it as, uh, I saw it as he's evading the punch and countering while making out and um, drinking. <laughs> Some people saw it as he got punched and that's why he's leaning back, which would be fine anyway, because if the guy can still manage to drink and make out with the woman after taking a punch, it's not the original meaning that we meant with, but sure, why not? It's a cool metaphor, so I dig it. In either case, <laughs> that's your logo for you right there. <laughs> there you go. So there you go, everybody. Episode six up and running. And I think it's time for Bellelli's Dream Time. And now we cross the ethereal plane for a visit into Bellelli's dream time. Now, last time you went back into sort of the archives. Now, this is actually... Is this a fresh one? This is a fresh one. Mm-hmm. This is... Um, if you guys have never seen the clip from Sesame Street in which Rick Gervais is singing this lullaby to Elmo in Celebrity Lullabies, you need to check it out because that was my dream, basically. I, was, I had a crazy <laughs> okay. fever in which for 24 hours, I literally slept for 24 hours. I, you know when sometimes you're sick and you stay in bed and watch movies? I couldn't even do that. I would raise my head, see the clock and pass out again. During the course of my demented, feverish 24-hour sleep, all of a sudden I had this dream in which I was Elmo and uh, the lovely Savannah M was Ricky Gervais and was singing me this psychotic lullaby with this hardcore... Well, you guys really need to check out the <laughs> Elmo, Ricky Gervais, I think, on YouTube because that will put things in perspective. Elmo doesn't care if Mr. Ricky Gervais is a celebrity or not. Elmo just loves lullabies. Good, but know that I am a celebrity. Well, you know, with Elmo's news these days, that takes a whole different uh, swing of things. Well, but about Elmo and weird sexual stories, which I'm not even going to get into the news part, but <laughs> these had reminded me, this particular dream, which is no big deal, right? You know, this dream where I'm substituting myself with Elmo, whatever, reminded me of an uh, even weirder one from the past. I had this dream where there was this insanely hot woman who wanted to have sex with me. And that's usually a good start of a dream. The things are... The problem is she wanted to have sex with me and Elmo. She oh. wanted a threesome with me and Hooray! Elmo. <laughs> you had a million dollars. And, when, and, when, and Elmo at the same time. What you didn't know is that you could work that out. <laughs> and when I was a little puzzled by that, she kept telling me how not to under, underestimate Elmo's skills as a lover who was... He was a stud. And I was like, really? Elmo? I mean... 
fuck, okay, who cares? I mean, you're hot enough that it's fine, but... My fur can clean off any sort of liquid you can spray <laughs> on it, don't worry! Oh my god! Hooray! So that was that. The threesome with Elmo was another key moment of my dream time. And, uh, and my curious relationship with Elmo, other than thinking that I am Elmo in one dream, having a threesome with him in another, has been complicated by the fact that... Um, <laughs> For quite a while, <laughs> my daughter, of course, had like seven million little Elmos everywhere, the Elmo chair. The, and after a while of really worshipping Elmo, she decided that Elmo pissed her off. So a few times, like, <laughs> she would come up and tell me, this is when she was two years old. Now she's three, so not a lot of difference. But she when she was two, she would come up and tell me, Elmo is being mean to me and point to the Almo chair with the big Almo eyes and everything. And I'm like, really, why? He has mean eyes, look at him, he has mean eyes, he's been mean to me. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you want me to do about it? She's like, punch him. I'm like, will you be happy if I punch him? She's like, yeah, 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 punch him. So I would just <laughs> punch the hell out of Elmo, grab a stick, whack him left and right and so on. Probably because I was still pissed over the fact that the hot woman forced me to uh, just jump in along with Elmo. Well, and, uh, the Tickle Me Elmo could vibrate really, really well. You're precisely. But yes. um, so that was it. Um, <laughs> that's for our Elmo field dreams. Woo! Hopefully the last for a while. <laughs> <laughs> the children telling me to workshop would like to have a word with you boys. Let's do story time. What's the problem? problem? Something about liquids. <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> That story that we told last time about the Danish gay penguins inspired a lot of attention among you guys. So somebody emailed me a series of very sad uh, bird sex stories that this segment will be entitled Fuck a Duck appropriately because it turns out that the joyous story of the gay penguins and their slutty friends has led now to a much less joyous story that has been emailed by actually two different people about the weird world of bird sexuality. Specifically, what we find out is this. Ducks, cute little ducks, they regularly rape each other. They are rapist ducks. So the story we're about to tell is about rapist necrophiliac oh, ducks. Come on! So it, so it turns out that ducks are chasing each other on a regular basis to rape each other. Occasionally, one duck, as they are flying away, is going to crash into a building, collapse dead, and the rapist comes onto the scene and says, well, body's still warm, so <laughs> it's all good. And um, Now, this leads me to think a couple of things. Back maybe 12 years ago, one day I saw this duck in a flower pot, and it stood up. And when it stood up, the, there was this egg underneath that hatched right there and then, so I see this duckling popping out, and it was so sweet and cute and adorable, and I decided, you know what, ducks taste really good, but this is too cute, I'm gonna stop eating duck forever. Well, forever turns out to be until now, because after <laughs> hearing these disgusting rapist necrophiliac ducks, I don't like ducks so much anymore, and yet they do taste delicious, so... Back you, on the menu. You evil bastards are back on the menu. 
<laughs> most definitely so ducks are evil that's <laughs> and uh, and i mean you know i have a notoriously very flexible morality but one thing for which i make no exceptions and have zero tolerance is rape whether in the human world or in the animal world so fuck you evil ducks i'm about to eat you because <laughs> you are cute and mean <laughs> Um, having said that, um, before we get into our rant of the day, I've been uh, asked by multiple people by now to say the George St. Pierre famous thing, because everybody say I sound like George St. Pierre. You bastard, George St. Pierre is a French-Canadian. He speaks with a French accent. I'm not French, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but in any case, to please you guys, I'm going to say the George St. Pierre line and say... I am not impressed by your performance. <laughs> so with that, I hope you guys got it out of the way That's and great. are happy about it. You just called, it's like the calling an, uh, a New Zealander an Aussie. Yeah, what yeah. the hell, but, <laughs> you know. You mean they got different states in Europe? Yeah, they might have some different That's states crazy. over there. And this different guy isn't even too. from Europe. Yeah. Well, whatever. For the review from our judges, that is no match. No match. Our rant of the day is going to be about education, academia, and so on. Specifically, last time I was on the Rogan's podcast, um, Joe mentioned... Uh, open letter that he had read that I'd written a while back about my experiences with academia. So before we get started, I'm just going to turn to the camera we have over here for YouTube purposes later and just read the letter and then we're going to go from there. Um, so here we go. This is the reason why I may be fired one day. But <laughs> okay. So this is an open letter that I've written to the academic community in general, because uh, after many years of teaching, I was kind of cranky that particular day. And, uh, well, you'll hear it. So here we go with the open letter. I've felt this way since a long time, but I've tried to keep my peace, working under the illusion that if I behaved like a good boy, I could work to change academia from within. I always knew I didn't fit in among you. Anybody with eyes can tell they were nothing alike. But I loved so much what university could be that I continued hoping against all evidence that there was a niche for me. Now that one of the departments I work for has sent me a message telling me in polite terms to fuck off, telling me that the fact that students love me is a mark of dishonor in their eyes, telling me that the fact that I've given my heart and soul to teaching for over a decade doesn't mean shit to them, telling me that I can never get a full-time gig teaching since they much prefer people who look like respectable scholars and who, as all respectable scholars, can teach a right word to them. Well, maybe now that I have nothing left to lose, it's time to say exactly what I think. I used to say that I have a love-hate relationship with academia, but being in your company for too long has turned into a hate-hate relationship. Your crime is unforgivable. Universities could and should be wonderful places where people go to forge their personalities and acquire the tools to turn knowledge into wisdom. They could and should be places where, to quote Tom Robbins, we enlarge the soul and light up the brain. They could be, they could and should be such places if you weren't for the fact that they are run by people like you. 
gloomy ghosts who spend their Saturday nights shining their PhDs and devising new ways to squeeze all joy out of learning. Every glowing evaluation I receive from my students is another strike against me in the eyes of the bureaucrats controlling the factory that is now academia. The assumption is that if your students don't find you dry, boring and needlessly complicated, you are obviously not doing your job and can be considered a proper scholar. What you seem to forget is that fun is not the antithesis of serious, it's only the antithesis of boring. No surprises there though. Your writing and your teaching are reflections of who you are. Sorry nerds who were locked up in the library 40 years ago and never found their way out. Your cold hearts and soft muscles speak volumes to your students before you even open your mouth. Much heaviness and dust come out of your very souls. Good teaching is meant to inform as well as to inspire. But in your hands, academic teaching ends up being a punishment for all involved, and universities turn into obsolete institutions, destroying and repressing our students' natural talent rather than educating them. I could go on, but the words of a fine American poet seemed most suited to deliver my parting message to you. In the poetically subtle words of Tupac Shakur, fuck you and your motherfucking mama. <laughs> Word up. Word up, play it, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, let's talk about the joys that is um, teaching so, in a university. So place. I guess maybe uh, a little background too. Um, what, what was it exactly that you were faced with? There was this uh, job that was perfect for me. I've been at the place for 11 years. So it was kind of like the natural fit in since students love me, all of that stuff. And they end up giving to somebody who has less than one year experience, never taught in the field, never seen the inside of a community college. Why? Because they have a PhD from a top 10 university. And the reason why is that so a college president can go around and say, our last hires have PhDs from Harvard and Yale right. and shit. Never mind the fact that they never taught a day in their life or they may not know how, mm -hmm. because that's not the priority. What I never understood was, I took a lot of classes in college where this person had all the his papers were amazing. Mm -hmm. He was, but he just wasn't a great teacher, right? You know, and it's cool, it's fair. I, you know, I respect your work, but you're just not a great communicator. Yep. For one, you don't speak the English language, but you're speaking. I don't you know, either. Of course, that's right? No, no. What I'm saying is, <laughs> no, like, I know. You, I can understand you. I, right. I had Russian physics professors speaking <laughs> into the chalkboard instead of into the actual uh, into the into the students. So I mean, it's like they sucked. So. They yeah, were, I mean, they weren't great, good at their job. They were good at writing papers. That's about the it. thing is that the um, communicating with students, being liked by students, is not even on the radar of the priorities for the people who mm -hmm. run universities. Which I is mean, completely backwards, right? It's, that should be at least number two. That should <laughs> that should be one, two, three, four, and five. I mean, yeah. that's what it's about, right? That's well, that was what, always the best teacher you ever had yeah. was the one that would engage with you, make right. the subject interesting. Not the dry motherfucker where you're like, oh, Jesus. Well, but to give you guys some ideas in that regard is amazing because you have... Um, I remember one story. I went to this one place because I was looking for a teaching gig and I was supposed to meet with the department chair. And the secretary was kind of like really off-putting, just sort of mean and rude and all of that while I had to wait. And I was like, whatever, okay, no big deal. After a while, she realized that I was supposed to meet the chair for this teaching gig. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. So you're a professor. I thought you were just a student. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. I thought you were just a student. I mean, these are the people who pay for universities to exist. That's the whole function of the universities about students. 
I thought you were just a student. Jeez. Along the same line, I had a guy at UCLA, a colleague there, who once told me, yeah, I love this gig. You know, I have this full-time gig I have here. It's awesome. If it wasn't for the fact that I have to teach. Because the guy just wanted to be a researcher. Yeah, no, I feel like there's a distinction. And is there room for that? Couldn't you just be a pure researcher? <clears throat> no, I guess not in academia. No. no. And, and I mean, the thing is, the, what most of these guys do, most because even the research stuff in the sciences is a big deal. Mm-hmm. You are a researcher in the science. You are finding out major great stuff. Okay, be a researcher. Good for you. In most of the social sciences and humanities, being a researcher means being a shitty writer who can get published in real publishing industry where sales count. Nobody's ever going to read your stuff. The only reason why you exist is because of academic publishers mm-hmm. who are designed not to sell three copies. I mean, they're really designed to only sell to the other five people in the field who are specialists who are going to read this thick, <laughs> boring, jargon-filled stuff and no one else. And it's just like, that's, I mean, it's not just that you suck as a teacher, but you're this great researcher. Is that also your research is an insult to the paper on which it's written mm. because it's like trees died so that you could write that crap. Really? Mm-hmm. Is Because I mean, the point is to me is writing, lecturing, all of it is about taking complex ideas and being able to convey them in a way that anybody can relate to. If not, totally understand, at least relate to. Whether you're talking about your 90-year-old grandmother or a 10-year-old, it should be enough about life that there are you are showing people why this is a big deal, what's exciting about it, what's interesting about it. That's somebody who's communicating. The rest is a waste. Yeah, I mean, what is communication? You're transferring exactly. an idea from mm-hmm. one person to another. So, I mean, learning is the most discreet or very particular part of communication that it comes in very handy. Like you try to achieve a goal out of the communication that whereas before, you know, you might just be BSing like we're kind of doing right now or whatever. But I mean, with learning, you have to, you know, sink in. Yeah. Cause whatever. I mean, the point is, yes, you need factual knowledge and that's important. Absolutely. So the, the typical criticism of universities come from people who actually could use university education because they are, sort of the nutcase, fundamentalist, anti-intellectual, I know better, but their critique come from an even worse place. One that just, you know, shows their proud of ignorance rather than anything. Well, it's like, well college is for snobs. Right, you exactly, know, that type of thing. And I mean, the thing about college is, college is designed to make you average. So for a good 50% of the people, that's a huge step up. Oh, yeah, and, uh, certificate of trainability. Right, but not for everybody and the thing is part of the reason why they do things the way they do is that factual knowledge can be tested Uh, wisdom is subjective wisdom is but the point is wisdom is when knowledge gets to be applied when knowledge is not just random notions you carry around in your head but it's stuff that you can actually turn into life into improving the quality of life Uh, and that's clearly there's a subjective element that come in and people don't want to get sued and don't want to get into all the fights about that kind of stuff. So it's like, we'll forget about that part, which is what real education is about. And we'll just focus on Spit, uh, who was president in uh, 1823. And who it's like turning it into a bunch of meaningless, safe facts that you can't argue about, you can test them, but they serve no purpose because they are essentially irrelevant to life. Well, yeah, and let's face it, 
almost every public, well, no, all public institutions, public universities mm-hmm. are a business. Mm-hmm. Their goal is no longer to educate yep. the populace. What did I see somewhere? And just recently, like, college is to get sex for the students. Right. <laughs> Football for the for the boosters, and parking for the faculty. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's That's just, college. God, you know, is it <laughs> Frank Zappa? Uh, if you want to get laid, go to college. If you want to get an education, go to the library. Right. <clears throat> yeah, this is exactly why I'm so insulted when I get these alumni letters saying, "Oh, will you please donate to us? Please, oh my, dude, really? I mean, you, yeah, you've already." are price gouging to the point where barely no, I know. You donate are you fucking kidding yeah. me it's like I should go back on campus and steal all your computers yeah. and donate it's oh, like, yeah. you know. I, I still feel I deserve a year of swimming in the uh, in the in the facility yeah. pool that they built on my dime while I was there and right. never yeah. got to use because it wasn't done yet no 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 but there's got to be a good side, right? You're not alone. Well, no. You're not the only guy there. There is a good side. I mean, there are um, students are cool for yes. the most part. Um, people who teach, some are cool. Not a lot, but some are cool. There are, I've had not many, but some great professors when I was a student. I've had, uh, there are some colleagues that I've run into who are really nice, smart, good human beings who do make the best of it. But in a way, it's like their being good is in spite of the system in which they teach. It's not because it. It's not encouraged. It's not equality. It's not, knowing how to teach is not in the first top 10 issues it's n- it's not even on the radar. It's like the stuff that you put pay lip service to, but nobody give a crap. It's about how many committees have you served on? Mm-hmm. How many? And I mean, anytime I've had to sit in one of these things with my so-called colleagues, I swear I'm like back in one of those like body snatchers movies where you know the aliens all of a sudden are going to start pointing finger and hissing. I expect any seconds that is going to happen that they are all going to go and point at me because they realize that I don't belong and they are going to be he's not one of us. I'm like fuck they caught me again. I have to run for my life. And it's like, I honestly it's not even I don't understand what these people say. Like I start listening to them and three words into it I'm asleep. I'm passed out and I don't know what the hell because the point is not that they have to be they have to like the same stuff I like is that they have to like something you know I remember as a student asking professors is like why do you teach this stuff I mean it's your life right so you must care there must be a reason why you're passionate about it you would hope and when I would ask the question I would just see pure panic in their eyes kind of like I don't know it's, they pay me, and it's and I'm like Jesus Christ, man! It's yeah. like, are you kidding me? I mean, to me, it's like it should be the first thing. Yeah, and to me, is I really like when first day of classes is what I bring up is I can't believe that somebody pay me to talk about stuff I like. I feel that yeah. I won the lottery mm-hmm. anytime yeah. I go into the classroom. I feel that I owe it to somebody, and specifically the students, since they are mm-hmm. the ones taking my classes, making Don't it possible for school. So, I mean, I feel like it's, I'm super excited. I feel it's awesome. And I cannot understand why, when I look in the other classrooms, that doesn't seem to be the scenarios. Because, I mean, I have those classes where I feel like, oh man, I deliver a really crappy lecture and I apologize to students and they're like, no, what are you talking about? It was pretty good. I'm like, pretty good. This was crap. You know, this was horrible. But then I take a peek in the next classroom and I'm like, okay, by comparison, I understand why you think this is good. It's you, like, you seriously apologize if you give a bad lecture? Yeah, I mean, you that's have your day off when you're like, man, I'm sorry. There's not too many of him, folks. That's <laughs> the... Yeah, that's- 
But to give you an idea mm. of how sad it is, there are first day of classes. What I do, which is considered special and amazing and all that shit, is like the most normal thing in the world. What I do is I walk into class, I put on red hot chili peppers, <laughs> and I go around, take five minutes on the first day of classes to go around, shake hands with everybody as I give them the syllabus. Not a big deal, right? I haven't even opened my mouth yet, and everybody's looking at me like, who is this weird alien? And why? Because I shook hands and press play to some music. <laughs> and every single time students tell me, nobody, no professor ever shook hands. And I'm like, really? Th that's what it boils down to? Shaking hands with you for five seconds is a big deal? Well, 800 wow. people are going to do that in the spring semester. <laughs> well, I can already tell. Well, and awesome. Hope, it, hope somebody's listening out there that does that. But I mean, really, okay, so it's, it's as though people in your trade, in your profession, the worst part of their job is going to class, whereas the, the mm -hmm. best part of your job is going to class. So yeah, that's the problem. Totally. I mean, and some cool. of them is because they are researchers and they granted their research sucks just as bad as their lecturing, but at least that's the excuse. In some cases, sometimes the people who care about teaching, it's a good start, but it's not necessarily better because you have people who care about teaching for the wrong reasons. It's because they are sociopaths who are happy to have a captive audience there so that they can throw out all their crap and they are on an ego trip in front of being in front of everybody. And and they empower other people. Exactly. That's not a whole lot better that way. And uh, I mean, it's just like the typical thing. And I mean, this is... I, to be fair, even some good people do that, so I'm not knocking on everyone who does that, but one thing that really turned me off is first day of classes where I see people who first thing they do is not only not play cool music or shake hands, which would be nice, but the first thing out of their mouth will be, hello students, my name is Doctor, and you know, what, five words into it? In my mind, you're already an asshole, because it's like, your name is not doctor anything, you dickhead. Your name is Joe Blow or whatever. What you did know, your it's mom like, name you, dude? Is, exactly. <laughs> it's like immediately there's this hiding behind some facade title bullshit to claim some special status. And these are the same people who would be bugged when students ask hard questions, when uh, they'll feel weird if they don't know the answer and they'll, their ego will get stung and if students don't agree with them and they get all weird and shit. And it's just like... Are you kidding me, man? It's like, if you don't know something, say it, you know? Nobody knows everything, and it's cool, and it's part of the fun of throwing ideas out there. And, and learning. Yeah, totally. We're going to have to dig in and find out about this together. Yep, yep, yep. But that's... It upsets the apple cart, man. I think they get set in their ways, and there's no changing them. Yep. yep and you're yep. right about those horrible, horrible... Where you got to go to the, the, the thesaurus ten different times on a page yep. to kind of figure out what the hell they're trying to get across. Yeah, no, I mean, and that is horrible when lectures, they get even worse in writing. I mean, academic writing is a punishment for everybody, right? It's not <laughs> something that yeah. anybody in their right mind would want to read. It's done in by people who can't write, really. And not even they can't write, they get off on the aspect of being weird and 99% yeah. of people can't understand what I'm saying. Exactly. That means I'm really smart. And it's like, no, that means you're an ass. Yeah. who could yeah. communicate important yeah. ideas but decide to hide them behind some jargon, some expert status to make yourself look different from everyone else. I seriously think that a lot of a lot of people get PhDs for that reason yeah. because it it sounds smart or you know you're going through this and you know at like a big university how many PhD students do you have and 
I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they do diligence and everything, but there's got to be at least a little. You can lower your guard a little and just let the jargon flow. You know? That's why I want to be Viceroy one day. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I have a deep-seated kind of disappointment in my educator or my, the people, my alma mater. Whatever. Right. I mean, I appreciate my entire experience, and I've learned. I learned a lot there, but it didn't have anything to do with the content matter, nor did it have no. anything to do with one particular educator. The best educators I was ever encountered with were in high school. The people that actually wanted to sit down and tell you about life yep. and understand and how to how to actually relate some idea to you, so that that got effectively communicated, so you remember that for life, and it was learned. And that was it. I had one guy in community college was uh, teaching Asian philosophy class part-timer you know very little amount of courses taught by him awesome human being and he was the guy who uh, kind of gave me the idea i saw what he was doing and realizing hey i could teach and make a living or at least somewhat of a living because i don't need that much money uh just picking up courses here and there talking about stuff i like interacting with students this is awesome and it's precisely because i think university can be awesome mm-hmm. that it bugs me having to go through all the assholes who make it otherwise somebody sent me an email um a professor named uh, i'll butcher your name as well just <laughs> to be sure drew statsman sent me an email was pretty funny he said a couple of things one he mentioned about the people inhabiting academia he called them bureaucratic sock by eating babies' hearts, which I thought was a fitting description. And then he talked about hired education, meaning students seem to be hired than their education, which is often the case. Yes, yes. But, uh, I mean, some of this stuff is just... Um, I hear a lot the term mental masturbation to refer to these people, but even that's too much, because at the end of the day, masturbation leads to an orgasm. There's something intense powerful and joyous about it's usually physical masturbation i'm all for it these are more like cutters <laughs> yeah this is just academic crap never leads to anybody not only having an orgasm but having any kind of even remote pleasure derived from it that's basically why i'm pissed because um uh, i feel that colleges can be that it's really not that hard mm-hmm to make them amazing places and most of the time i'm right now i'm all in my pissed off mode but reality is when i'm on campus with students teaching nine times out of ten i'm having a great time Mm -hmm. and i think it's the best gig in the world students are great Uh, colleagues sometimes rarely most of the time is just a bunch of crap that has nothing to do with the whole point of what education could and should be about yeah we got a whole planet with the same problem could be great right now, I would be remiss not to ask, is it a rotating chili pepper cut, or is it the same one every year? Usually, for the longest time, was scar tissue nice. was my start. Occasionally went into snow, yeah, and uh, this semester, because I was in a cranky mood, I decided to start instead with the clash, I fought the low, and okay. um, it was, uh, those tend to be my songs. Um, that's, how I, that's how the year starts. Great choices. Oh. Anthony Kiedis, if you're listening... Yeah, you're welcome. We're right next time. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I do occasionally, like when I lecture about sex, uh, which is fairly often, I'll play uh, uh, sexual healing in the Ben Harper version. Uh, by the way, we're hoping to get Ben on the show sometime soon, which would be fun. Um, I'll throw in. Uh, speaking of Ben Harper, I'll play his uh, "Burn One Down" when I lecture about altered state of consciousness yeah. and religion. One so there's some. Uh, 
yeah, I have fun with music. I don't play it every time. I play it once in a while, but it's it's a way to be human. You know what I mean? Is you start a lecture with something that people relate to, and uh, all lectures at the end of the day should connect exactly to that. Should connect to being human and uh, and life and real life. You know, because that's what it's all about. So I have I have one other question. Um, is this mostly present in like like larger institutions or or I mean, do you feel like it's better at community colleges or is it just another little you know you're still a cog in the wheel and you're still dealing with other people's motives? Theoretically speaking, community colleges are more about teaching than um, you know four year university and generally the bigger the university, the less about teaching it is. So that's why your you know your top ten hundred whatever rankings. They have nothing to do with what your experience is going to be about. Is about. But the football is great. Exactly. That's usually what it's about. Yeah, but okay. um, but even then, you know, people are what they are. So there are, you know, even community colleges, most people teaching are going to suck. Most of the administrators are going to suck. Most of the, all of that part, the institutional part is going to be awful. And you're going to run into a lot of cool human beings. Some weapon to be instructors and most of them happen to be <clears throat> students and that's the game and there's plenty of yeah. folks that are happy to do the least amount possible to get by sure which is a huge part of our, our population or, or, or you like take advantage of it you realize like uh yeah maybe i could learn italian even though i'm a computer science major and go to italy and hang out and you know no, but that's the cool part that's yeah. definitely the cool part <clears throat> about the putting the least amount into it i mean the reality is that if uh, it's not about educating you because it's not and it's about learning some stupid information to spit it out and forget it three minutes after your final is over yeah then i totally understand why people cheat because i mean it's really not about people say no you're only cheating yourself no i'm actually teaching that guy who's <laughs> about to screw me over unless i speed the info that he doesn't care about i don't care Nobody about cares. he made no effort to make me care about it so of course you're going to cheat by the way if your students if my students are listening i will hunt you and kick your ass if you cheat on the final no cheating but uh, it's out of respect for Virginia. no actually i don't give a fuck to be honest <laughs> cheat all you want just don't insult my intelligence by being too obvious if you're gonna cheat do it well and be a master at it <laughs> don't get caught See, that's there again. a skill in and of itself seriously yeah. yeah. i mean really the, no but i mean all of that stuff is you see why people do it because it's not it's different if it's really about education then yes by cutting corners you are cheating yourself if it's about really just factual bullshit and you don't care about, they don't care about, doesn't really matter in the great scheme of things, then of course people will try to get away with the least possible because, well, why should they? You know, there's no relevance to their life. Why should they bother? You know? It is interesting. We're kind of at a weird point where you hear a lot, maybe you don't need college anymore. You never would have heard that 20 years ago. Right, 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 right. And I'm sure, you know, if you're going to be a welder or, or you love uh, fixing cars or anything like that, but what do you feel like? Who's the person that's going to benefit the most by going? No, I mean, the thing is, I think everybody does. After having said all this shit, <laughs> I'd say the opposite because the reality, but not because of what you learn, yep. is because of A, the social environment, mm -hmm. meeting people from a bunch of walks of life. Yes. That's the number one important thing about college. Being in an environment in which, at least indirectly being supposed about education, you end up having conversation you wouldn't have with people you wouldn't meet. That's the cool part of college. Yeah. There's, um, there's lots of hot people attending <laughs> college. That helps. So it's first time I ever 
I ever talked to Rich, we were on the Santa Monica College campus, and it was very hard to keep his focus. Man, I thought I hit that pretty well. I like college. You know, I think he's, um, despite all of this, it still is a cool environment, and I'm so happy every day I go in that that's my job. When I compare it to a million other jobs I could have, Mine, granted, there's no security because I don't have a fixed contract. It's all part-time stuff. I can be cut any minute. I never know how much money I'm going to make next month, all of that stuff. But still, it's awesome. I feel it's well, a great gig. That's uh, that's hugely valuable. I mean, I, I, if you love and you have passion about whatever you do every day, then you're doing way better than – I mean, it could be a lot worse, yeah. I guess. I mean, that's all you can ask for. I mean – when it comes down to it, you should at least feel like you're contributing in the world and that you're part of this huge hive and that we're all, all you know, out to do better, you know? No, all my bitching, it still doesn't mean that I don't enjoy far from it. it. Almost, I'm it, super happy I about it. this a lot. Too, everybody else would straighten their <clears throat> No, no, if you were complacent, you wouldn't, You or, or if you didn't bitch, it would show that you were complacent and you didn't care. Right. So by, it's called being passionate, you know? So I totally, I, I know exactly where you're coming yeah. from because I complain all the time at work about wanting stuff better yeah. you know an ideal sort of situation right, right, right. Care. but that doesn't like mean that you least. don't like it it's yeah. still uh, i don't like a part of it which luckily my experience is not the biggest one and i have to interact with it as little as possible the part that makes me sick is that those guys are the ones that have the power who run the things who push policy they are the clogs in the machine they are the part i hate Luckily, in my day-to-day interaction on campus, they are a small one, but of course they are the power behind it all. And that's what bugs me. What's the qualifications to teach in California? California, you need a master's to teach in a community college uh, in your subject area, and you need a PhD usually for four-year universities. I've gotten away teaching with a master's sometime. I actually have two masters right now, and I'm what are they going away about finishing <laughs> on the PhD thing? I'm debating that, but is um, I was in a PhD program, and then all sort of shit happened, and I I've been kind of stuck there for a while. Keep but, playing your um, cards right; they're going to give you an honorary. Yeah, exactly. Right. The, <laughs> no, but I mean, with the MAs, I've done. I've kind of pulled off some strange miracles, despite the fact that technically you're supposed to have a PhD, because I taught forever at a four-year university at Cal State Long Beach. I taught at UCLA for a long time, which normally they don't even look at you for a part-time class without a PhD. But I, this is actually one of the things that I like about teaching in the U.S. In Italy, the average professor is in their 60s. I'm kidding you not, like the majority of people teaching are at least 60s but something like 90% of the people Whoa. who teach university. How's that work? And they, uh, and you know, it's very stuffy and old and all of that crap. I started teaching at UCLA when I was 28. I got my first master and I showed up one day in one department where, well, I taught in a few departments, but I remember this one where I showed up in Asian American studies. And usually in ethnic studies, you kind of need to be from that ethnic group to teach there. That's the typical thing. So I don't exactly look Asian American. I show yeah. up, I've never taken a class in Asian American studies in my life. Interesting. And I'm saying, I want to teach for you uh, because, and here is a syllabus I got developed. It's a course about martial arts in movies, one, and another one about history and philosophy of martial arts. Students are going to love it. So you're going to have a lot of audience, which you need for summer classes because it's going right. to bring you money. And you can either have me teaching it or nobody, because nobody else is going to teach it. So the reality is, yeah, I only have an MA. Yes, I look the way I do, but do you want it or not? 
and I ran into somebody who was a really cool human being who said, damn, yeah, I want it. It's going to bring a student this summer. We need it. Go for it. That kind of stuff to me is like in Italy would never happen. So for all the shit that I talk about sometimes living in US, that's huge, you know, this attitude of sometime at least occasionally being willing to experiment in weird ways is something that I would have never run into in Italy. I think it, it's because you, uh, you're a made man, Daniela. You're hiding the, the fact that you're Sicilian or something. Oh, right? sure. I forgot. Right? When, <laughs> while I was suggesting that about the course, Did I also, break some knees? I also put a gun on the table uh, while I was looking at Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. I want to teach Maja. Yeah, yeah. Give it the freaky styling. <laughs> Cool. So that was a run for the day, and uh, I could go on about this and that wheel again, but I got my fix for now. That's Usara. Uh, Chris O'Dell was our guest on the last episode. He's uh, the owner of Datsusara. He makes these awesome hemp gear, particularly bags. So if you guys are in the market for computer bags, bags for backpacking anything like that check out the link on our website um we don't really even make them actually so far i haven't seen anything but i'm sure the point with that cesara is we like their stuff that's what it's about and uh, so truly if you guys look for a bag check it out first because it's a good option that's why we do it not because of cash because there isn't any but um so check him out. And then another thing in regards, there's a link on our website for audible.com. Um, if you guys are in the market for audiobooks or considering it, especially if you drive a lot, makes sense to, um, and my other issue is space. You know, I love books, I love to read, and I have no damn space in my house. So hmm. something where you can just listen to something and listen to books on your way to work, that may be the way to go. So if that's you, check out our audible.com link on our website. So we've had nightmare inducing after nightmare inducing story time. Yes. Is it going to be dead bodies this week? Uh, kind of. Uh, Is it going to be violence? Of course. I mean, Bloodshed? Of course. Anger? Sex. Hurt feelings? Yes. All of it. Like it must be story time, everybody! (laughs) Take it away! Today, we take the holy book and we open the page of the Holy Bible for a lovely storytelling. Our storytelling is straight from the pages of Genesis. Oh, so and it's not going to be golden hemorrhoids this week. Damn. No, it is how the story goes. So we have um, Judah, one of the Jewish patriarchs from the pages of Genesis. He has three kids. And he married the first one, the oldest one, got married off to this woman named Tamar. We don't know why, just the Old Testament tells us that this this first, the oldest son of Judah was an ass, and God doesn't like him, and so he kills him. So now Tamar is a widow. She needs a new husband. According to the rules of the time, her brother, I mean, the the deceased husband's, the brother should step in and become the new husband for Tamar. So Judah is like, oh, okay, I guess that's how it goes. So he sends his second son to Tamar. A dude by the name of Onan, from which the term Onanism come from. Because 
would end up happening. <laughs> not Onan the Barbarian. That's no, a different guy. different one. Okay. So Onan decided that he's not so hot about this arrangement because the way it was supposed to be is that once you marry your dead brother, Widow, uh, whatever kids you have from her, they are actually, they go, they are considered your dead brother's kids. You can't claim them as your own. So you are essentially just serving as a sperm donor, basically. And so what happens is when he gets married to Tamar, they start having sex. Onan is said, screw this part. I'm not impregnating you with kids that I'll never even. So as they are having sex, he pulls out and comes on the ground instead. Oh. God is deeply pissed off because every sperm is sacred. Exactly, and sex is, <laughs> is sex is supposed to be strictly and only for procreation. The dude just did the opposite. Essentially, had his fun and intentionally avoided procreation. Good God! So, what does the good God do? He smites him. Precisely, Onan is gone. Second guy was dead. <laughs> so now we have our. Judah is supposed to send its third and last son to Tamar and marry. And the dude is like, you know what? This bro just is bad luck. I'm not sending my third son. Sorry, that's just not going to happen. The problem is this puts Tamar in a bind because she cannot get remarried uh, to anyone else. And uh, she cannot have kids. And in ancient Jewish society, a woman without kids is pretty much worthless. And so now she's in a real bind. What to do? What to do? She can't convince Judah to send the last son. She therefore can't get pregnant. It's bad news. But she's smart. So here is what she does. She hears that Judah himself is going to go take a trip on this one day. So as he's off on his pilgrimage, she decides, I'm going to put myself on the road that he has to take, dressed as a hooker with a veil on so he can't recognize me. As Judah is walking Same along, problem. and by the way, again, if you guys think the Bible is something for prudes, you are really missing the point here. Well, this what, is pretty hot right here. What Judah decides to do is as he's walking along, taking his trip, he sees this woman on the side of the road and decides, hmm, a hooker is just what I need right now. So, okay, how much do you want? And Tamar, who is not recognized by Judah, just says, um, I want a goat. And he's like, well, that's fine, no problem. I'll get you a goat. Which is like, well, where is the goat? He's like, well, I don't have it with me. You know, I have it back home, but I'll go get it. And she's like, yeah, I'm not stupid. I want the damn goat. And she's like, okay, how about this? We have sex right now, because I'm horny now, not in three days after I go get the goat. So we have sex now. And I, and she's like, okay, leave with me your stuff and your ring. So your kind of signs that belong to your family and all of that. Leave them with me. Then you, after we have sex, you go get the goat, you bring it back, and I'll give you back your stuff and your ring. He's like, that just sounds like a great idea. Please, let's get it on. Let's go. So they have sex. Uh, Judah, at that point, he's happy, he's done. He goes back home, gets the goat, come back. She's and Mrs. No Judah isn't like, where the fuck are you going with the goat? <laughs> where that goat go? I couldn't get out of the house with a with a fucking piece of bread without like, hey. <laughs> yeah, but by the time That's he shows, baby, I didn't I didn't finish my trip. I don't want any sex even though I've been gone. But I need to grab this goat. I'll be back in a little bit. And by the way, I don't know where the fuck my ring is, but I'll look for it while I'm out. Precisely. I'm not buying this Bible shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
So Judah arrived back at this place. The woman is gone. What? She's like, where is, you know, I just had sex with the hooker. Ask everybody, where's the hooker? Usually it's there. It's like, there is no hooker there ever. And he's like, oh shit, what happened? Oh, well. Who cares? It was uh, the devil! I lost my stuff. I lost the ring, but at least I keep my goat. Oh, oh well. He goes back home. A little bit later, uh, the news reaches him that Tamar is pregnant. And he's like, that bitch, are you kidding me? She's She belongs to our family now, and she can, she can be pregnant. She means she has slept with somebody outside of the rules of marriage, She's to be burned to death. Nice. So they go to have the trial, so and so, to lead to lead to the fact that she's supposed to be burned to death. And Tamar, when she's asked about who's the father, she say, "Oh yeah, there's ring and this stuff." May remember. Judah immediately goes, "You know what? They burn you to that thing. Forget about it. Clearly, this is a misunderstanding. You seem like a very sweet, nice woman, so don't worry about that." And everybody live happily ever after. Uh, and by the way, these are win- will be the people who will be the ancestors of King David, who will be the ancestors of Jesus. So the moral of this story is, if you pulling out during sex, that's bad, 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 and God will kill you for it. But if you have you sex... You count how many times I'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> but if you have sex... At least eight. Well, check this. Try if this is the case. Jeez. On the other hand, if you have sex with your daughter-in-law, in exchange for a goat, that's clearly totally fine. And Mrs. Jo- and Mrs. Judah is fine with all this. No, she was dead. So oh. the guy was a widower. But no, he wasn't entitled to his hookers. He was just an ass because he was about to burn her to death because she slept uh, with somebody outside of marriage, whereas he could get his hookers. But those were, you know, typical double standards of the thing. Uh, and still the rules in many Islam, <coughs> Islamic yeah, countries. Of course. I mean, the whole most of the sex rules in most religions are for women, really. For men, they are as long as you don't have sex with a woman who belongs to somebody else, somebody's wife or somebody's daughter. In other words, as long as you have sex with hookers or uh, prostitutes. I mean, you know, hookers or prostitutes, what the fuck am I saying? Of course, are same thing. Either with hookers or with your slaves, those are fair game. You just can't have sex with women who belong to another man because it's an offense to that man. Ultimate patriarchal bullshit that is typical in most of the world's religions. Wow. So when you're bored and you don't know what to do, please remember in the holy book there are some juicy, perverted stories, and I'm going to bring more of them up. Yeah. Didn't somebody write Solomon? Song of Solomon is the best thing in the universe. It's like, biblical porn at its best didn't uh, and, uh, somebody we know write about this uh, in some book or something what <laughs> the fuck somebody we know write about in some books it's like jesus you only had two beers come on <laughs> no what i'm saying is uh didn't you write about this in one of books oh that's oh, somebody yeah. we know oh, yeah, yes yeah, yeah, yeah. the awesome bolelli <laughs> yes i oh and speaking of which well i'll bring it up a lot more in the coming months but yeah i will have a book coming out in uh, end of March, early April, called Create Your Own Religions. I'll go off about the Song of Solomon. I'll go off there about go. a lot of fun stuff. Cool. So that was storytelling for the month. I, I can hear sleeping babies all across the country and around the world. Crickets. Even in Canada, eh? Begging for more. <laughs>
Time for fearless answers to your fearless questions. It's time to ask Bolelli. What do we got this week? We got a couple. We have one is somebody who got pissed off about the gay penguin story. Again? Yes. <laughs> Basically, what that was about Wait was... Wait they hear about the ducks. Yeah, seriously. No, uh, Eric, I believe. Uh, he, and by the way, you spelled your email address wrong, so when I tried to email you back, it didn't work. But in any case... Eric was pissed because he was arguing that the um, the gay penguin story, the implicit gay agenda we were having was that we were trying to argue, well, if penguins do it, it must be natural as such, it's okay. A um, couple of things about that. And he was arguing, well, this is actually technically homosexuality is a perversion of the point of sex because sex is about procreation from a biological standpoint. And he's not saying, you know, I hate gays or anything, but he's saying... The whole idea of uh, state laws catering to somebody from a particular sexual preference is opposed to that and all of that. So a couple of things about that. One, uh, the whole idea of sex equal procreation. What the fuck, man? No doubt. Really? Is uh, that just, I'm not a big fan of that concept. And particularly because one of your arguments was the idea that some of the, you know, Bees animals may engage in sex for pleasure, whereas for us, being a more advanced species, we should be the other way around. Well, that's actually the opposite, because the reality is that the smartest species on Earth are the ones who actually tend to emphasize sex for pleasure. Dolphins, my idols, the bonobos, who have sex for every conceivable reason in the world but what do you know it's thursday the um, yeah the, the bonobos are awesome they uh, among other things they have this thing that anytime to male bonobos who have too much testosterone are starting are getting mad and they're ready to about to have a fight two random females just will show up promptly start giving the moral sex and eliminate any kind of tension existed there and they never fight because they constantly have giant torches but Beside the bonobos, point being, some of the smartest species on Earth are the ones that actually do engage in sex for pleasure rather than purely for procreation. So, point number one. Point number two, I agree with the fact that just because something is natural is not necessarily healthy. I mean, hell, we just saw the rapist necrophiliac ducks today. So, yes, that's a sobering reminder that not everything that's natural is good. Agree with that, but that's not the point here. You know, the point here is about sex for pleasure absolutely being far from being any kind of a perversion is are you kidding me? That's what ninety-five percent of what I'm interested in revolves around this topic. So <laughs> there's that. And in regard to laws and all of that, I think what it boils down to is, because one of the arguments he was making in the email was about, you know, a gay couple is more likely to be able to adopt somebody than a single guy of um, regardless of sexual orientation. And I mean, part of it boils down to two people are going to be more likely to be able to adopt than one person. Yeah. Regardless of sexual orientation. It's Try not it, about, fool. Yeah. So it's not about... So I don't, I don't see that as a favoring of uh, gay people by the law. Far from it. It's simply in terms of adoption or things like that, it boils down to two people are going to have a better shot than one. That's about it. So it's not. I don't really see it as a favoring by anybody. But in any case, just to keep rolling with this. And again, if you want more detailed answer, spell your email correctly and I will glad to reply to you. 
second one that I got, actually I got this one a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Several different people brought up the same issue, which basically revolves with our topic that we were having the rant on earlier about um, involvement in school. These specifically are a bunch of people who are in grad school of one kind or another or are considering grad school and they are struggling with it for the very reason that we highlighted earlier when discussing the topic. And I mean, the point is, graduate school is indeed the devil's foreness. You know, that's just how it is. So if you are going to do it because you think that you need a stupid piece of paper to do something, and you may need it, you know, in my case, I definitely did need it. If, as if more likely than not, you are not, if you don't have the luck to run into somebody who's an awesome human being who's going to help you navigate through grad school without trying to squash your spirit, the reality is that every day of grad school, they're going to try to mold you into the person they want you to be rather than the person you want to be. They're going to try to make you speak like them. They're going to try to make you write like them. They're going to try to squash all the weird idiosyncrasies in you. So it's a very soul crushing process go to grad school it takes a while sometime if ever you're able to to detox from the process so having said that there are ways to get through alive and i'm not discouraging people from doing that i'm not saying you shouldn't do it because if anything if you guys are cool people you are precisely the people who should do it and as such then there will be more people within academia who are cool human beings rather than soulless motherfuckers <laughs> so the way to do it is this you need to think every day you're in grad school rather than thinking I'm a poor grad student trying to survive all these assholes molding me into somebody I don't want to be. You think I'm a damn ninja. <laughs> I'm going to show them a face. I'm going to pretend that I listen to all their bullshit and I will. I saw the light. Thank you for teaching me this crap. They are not your friends. They are not. You're lying to them. You're putting on a front for them just so that you pretend to hop through all the hoops that they put in front of you you play the game but inside you better remember that you shouldn't internalize all the crap they are giving you so all of that stuff make it go in one ear and out another just retain just enough to be able to do what they are asking you to do but the entire name of the game is that you are a ninja who is there to steal from them that piece of paper because they are holding the key to let you do what you will be able, whatever it is that you're going to be able to do with that piece of paper, with your diploma, with your MA, with your PhD, with whatever that is, you are there to steal it from them. And you're going to do it without them knowing it. And that should give you pride in yourself and the sense of accomplishment that you are able to pull this off under their nose. So while they are trying to crush you, you shouldn't just fight directly back because A, you lose and B, you're going to suffer every step of the way. You'll say, yes, master, yes, master. And behind their back, you get exactly what you want done. Steal the diploma and you'll be our hero forever. So you're a, you're a fucking ninja on a mission. That's a big, big difference right there. And load your iPod. <laughs> With ninja juice. <laughs> Oh no, that's all I got. Ask Bolelli for the month. <laughs> Please ask away next time. That's fantastic. Don't be afraid. Hey, Send them, tweet it, yell it. And let us know. Um, we're thinking about tossing around, the, we're, we're, well, we are tossing around the idea of uh, you know, having a, bi- a bigger community uh, or, or what we can do to make the community more. So 
tell us what you think about, you know, uh, what would make it better to have discussions. We're tossing around the idea of having like a forum and such, and uh, and just like a message board in general. We're pretty sure we're gonna do it, um, but uh, just just like to hear what you guys think about it or what 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 you want and don't want. And I think it'd be cool to have this conversation more publicly. So. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> and if we do set up, as we probably will, the discussion boards, you guys hop on, just mm-hmm. chat about yeah. whatever you guys want, episodes, anything else. And um, and I mean, yeah, the guys, the stuff you guys sent us through tweets, emails, and so on, we paid just today, the thing we mentioned earlier about, we'll do the, if people are wearing a shirt, uh, Drunken Tavi shirt, send us a pic, we'll put Science. a page on it. Somebody tweeted it later earlier this afternoon and we're discussing it now you know what i mean so yeah. we definitely take Keep our going. feedback to heart unless you're mean to us in which case fuck you <laughs> we don't want to hear it we but disregard for the most part we take your feedback don't to ad- heart don't and, address uh, things that compromise our integrity that's have a good holiday everybody <laughs> yep we'll see you on the other side all right we'll talk about the evils of christmas when we return <laughs> cheers So ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon.